is episode 109 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. My name's Andrew. And my name is Eli. Welcome back. Listeners, we are diving into an appropriate fall topic today, maybe one that's a little bit late, but we're going to talk about education, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, Edumacation. Edumacation, and it's uh, such a common strand around the world, actually was requested by one of our listeners, shout out to my brother, Um, but he was just like- Your actual brother? Not like your brother, but like your brother, brother. (laughs) My uh, Radnoy- Blood brother, uh, my okay. sibling, my older brother, Aaron. Yeah. Aaron, um, all right. But yeah, uh, before we transition to that, though, Eli, I have a question for you. Huge, huge summer as far as sports went. Um, the Summer Olympics uh, finally happened a year postponed in Tokyo. But uh, Eli, I have a question. If there's one Summer Olympic sport you could compete in, what would it be? We already did this. I did this with my friends. In fact, someone brought up a graphic of all of those like little <laughs> logos of all the different sports. And we're trying to interpret like, I think this one's like the quintathlon or whatever, and which is not a real event. Um, so I actually already answered that. Um, and I'm probably going to disappoint you. Um, okay. I, I, I mean, I... It's not the same as what you want to watch. Like, I really love gymnastics and I really love swimming, but I don't want to do either of those. If, uh-huh. if I did gymnastics, I would not, like, my arms would be the size of my legs or bigger <laughs> than they currently. So, I, I picked rowing because I've done a little rowing and I think it's oh. a really cool sport and um, it's a team sport and I like the water. But it's not like a very popular Summer Olympics sport, you know? Yeah. I don't know. What well, what about you? Well, I will say those three guys three on all, three. Those guys are all super ripped. Um, I mean you say that everyone in the Olympics except for the pistol shooters, but would <laughs> good point. No offense to any pistol shooters out there. If you're listening, uh, we're happy. You actually would probably fit in well with some of those long distance runners. Uh, um <laughs> then then a little gangly. Um uh. <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't seen me in person in a while, Andrew. I, mean, I, didn't, I know that's my I didn't, build, but... I didn't think of three-on-three. Three. I will say, if it was something I think I could do a pretty good job at, I think I'd do pretty well at the javelin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did that surprise you? Do you mean you? that when you normally throw spears, you've kind of got a knack for it? <laughs> like, what does that mean? I think I'd be good at it. <laughs> I have spent my whole life playing sports which involve throwing things. And I still, that's like one of the few athletic abilities I have left is I still have a pretty good arm for, th- for throwing things. Yeah. I um, believe that. So I do think I could do a j- good job in the javelin. If there's you something know, it's, I'm, it's, it's all in the toes. I mean, it's all like have, the, the way they like bound and like, doing, 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 and then throw it. Like you've got to be yes, super springy. That's true. In your legs. Well, I would have to work on, um, the approach. Uh, Man, the I want to, sure. I want to, a video of you javelining and me rowing, and we'll see who lasts longer. <laughs> we'll put it. We'll put a vote to our listeners. <laughs> Either you get impaled um, or I drown or something. <laughs> well, the reason I bring that up, Eli, is because uh, for one, uh, Russia or the Russian Olympic Committee, uh, as on. they were called this year, um, they had a admirable performance, finished fifth worldwide with the medal count. But what you couldn't see in that 
was how fantastic the North Caucasus performed. Yes. uh, So uh, just as a recap, uh, Russia won 71 medals in the Summer Olympics, but of those 71, 15 were won by people from the North Caucasus. Which is like boop, 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 like a little more than, than, a, it's like than eight, a quarter. 18, 19%. A little less than a quarter, I meant. Yeah, 20, 20%. <laughs> about my, 20%. Yeah. Computing. Um, yeah, one out of five came from the North Caucasus. And um, surprisingly, have you, have you actually seen my notes on this, Eli? Okay. No, and that is not surprising that I haven't no. seen the notes. <laughs> well, then I'm, I'm going to put this to a guess for you. Of those 15. <sighs> okay. 13 were in three sports. Oh, I can do this. What sports do you think they were in? I'll tell you, it wasn't javelin and it wasn't rowing. Um, <laughs> Greco-Roman wrestling. Uh, so wrestling as a whole, yes. Okay, I don't that. have to go into the weeds on that. Yeah, Greco-Roman and freestyle, we'll just combine those as one. Wrestling. All right. Wrestling. Um, weightlifting. No. Uh, boxing. You're headed the right direction, though. Boxing, yes. And then judo. Judo, you got it. Nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah, wrestling total totally dominated in wrestling, boxing, and judo. Um, of course, as you would expect, Dagestan did fantastic. Um, yeah. but North Ossetia, uh there were a good number of folks from uh uh who won medals. Awesome. Several Chech several Chechens. Um and then uh we're gonna transition here to a guest, but uh Ingushetia's fifth gold medalist in history, Musa Yevloyev, won the gold medal in the heavyweight uh, in Greco-Roman wrestling. Um, yeah, really awesome. And let's introduce our guest with that, who can really speak to how proud I know the Ingush are feeling about this. Welcome, I'm Medina sure. from Ingushetia. Woo! Welcome, Hi. Medina. Hi. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting. I'm so glad to have it's you. It's my pleasure. Well, Medina, we're going to talk about you and a lot of other things in a little bit, but tell us like, not wrestling. tell us about the pride, the, well, <laughs> tell us about the pride right now welling up in Ingushetia over Musa Yevloev's title, because I have just seen Instagram posts all over being just reposted and reposted about how proud everyone is of him. Yes, of course we are proud because our population is so small. You know, and this mm-hmm. is such a great contribution into the whole Russian sport. We're proud of Musa. Oh. Yes, of course. Everyone is. Yeah. That's so, so awesome. is he is he gonna I mean, like in Dagestan when you go to the park, the main park, you know, you have got portraits of every medalist there in the center like will do you is is he gonna be enshrined somewhere, do you think? Like, will they put up a monument for him? Is it that level? Or no, I don't do think need... so. There, Not yet. There won't be okay. a monument. There will be a portrait. <laughs> portrait. Okay. Yes. Okay. Mike, it's monument is more like memorial. And yeah. engraving okay. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. And uh, Medina, Musa is not the first Yevloyev, who's an athlete that we've talked about on this show. Uh, there's another Yevloyev, Mofsar, mm-hmm. from Sunja who he's doing really well right now in the USC and mixed martial arts in the United States. So we're tracking with all the Yevloyevs. Pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Are they actually related? I think they are. This is the biggest clan in Ingushetia, the Yevloyevs ah. clan. 
There are so many of them, so it's not surprising. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> and many words. They're not. They're not relatives at all. They're not relatives. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Possibly. Right. But clan. Very cool. Yeah. Got it. And the clans are divided. Also, you know, they have different uh, families. They are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are different. They are Uloives, but they are different. That's also yeah. possible. Maybe I'm yeah. not an expert on that, but yeah, I think okay. yeah, that's possible. Well, Medina, I've you know in recent years, people have been Facebook friending me whose last name is Slate, same as me. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I, we're not re- related. I don't know who they are, <laughs> but it's a pretty unlike Yevloyev. It's not the largest last name uh, in the United States, and so it's a pretty rare name actually. So I, I guess they had just felt this sense of camaraderie with me, but I'm sure we're really different too. So that's not just unique. <laughs> <laughs> I come from this, one of the smallest ones, Parchives. Uh-huh. Which, yeah. which is what? What's, what's that clan called? Parchives. Parchives. Yes. We are not big, <laughs> when, but we are expanding. What is big and what is small? Uh, maybe big means... Uh, Thousands of people. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. Yeah. Tens of thousands, maybe. Okay. Not wow, sure. Okay. Yeah. Like uh-huh. Yivloivs, well, Kadzoivs, and others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Well, like always, um, we went real deep, real fast. Um, Medina, let's back up just a little bit. Um, I'm going to do a brief intro about you. Actually, I want you to introduce yourself and then I'll share how we met. So just tell our guests a little about who you are, uh, where you live, kind of about your family, your work, and then we'll go on from there. My name is Medina Barchiva. I'm currently a teacher of English, but not at school. Uh, I work at a center called Metro Station in Nazran. Uh This is a co-working center, which was founded Uh five years ago uh, by Uh two young men at the same time, the Uh co-founders, Ahmed and Magamid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and uh, it was founded in 19, I mean, in 2016, and I started working there in 2017, so... I am not only giving classes, English classes, but, but I'm also, um, you know, uh, holding a meeting. I mean, I am moderating English club meetings, uh-huh. English sure. conversational club meetings. Yeah. I am originally from North Ossetia. I okay. was born in Vladikavkaz, but I currently live in Ingushetia. And... My motherland, of course, is the city where I was born, Vladikavkaz. And uh-huh. um, yeah, I live in Karabulak and I travel to Nazran every day for my English classes. And this summer I have almost 120 students wow. <laughs> who I teach aged from five to, I mean, sorry, eight from eight to 55. Mm. Well, I can already say that they've got a good teacher. Your English is really lovely. Thank you very much, Eli. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Medina, we, um, uh, I definitely consider you a friend. Uh, 
and a colleague in some senses, but really just a friend. Uh, we've known each other at least three years now. Um, I've, I've been to your um, adult English club a good number of times there in Nazran. Um, we've brought different tourists there. And of course, my English friends uh, <laughs> brought me there initially. Um, but yeah, you, re- your English club is really fantastic. Uh, it's really free-flowing conversation. It's very easy way to meet people. Usually, I was, in my experience, there's always um, 20 to 40 people there um, wow. who are at a, speak a high level of English. Um, and then I, I say you're a, a good friend. You had our family to your home uh, last year. And um, yeah, I've loved getting to know you. Um, so that we've needed to have you on this show for a long time. So I'm glad you're finally here. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. The same from my side. <laughs> yeah. And we always joke. Um, we always joke. Uh, Eli, I don't know if you've heard of this city in Ingushetia, Karabulak. I have. Um, yeah. Well, we've mentioned it here on the podcast, but we like to say Karabulak is the epicenter of the English language in Ingushetia. Um, <laughs> oh. there, there are multiple... In addition to Medina, there are multiple high-level English language teachers residing okay. there in Karabulak. Um, so, I yeah, can tell you, you why. Are, uh, tell us. Possibly they are concentrated here because Karabulak is a small city of Ingushetia where there isn't a concentration of certain clans. This is the uh-huh. place where people from different places live, like... Um, internally displaced people from Chechnya, Chechnya, Grozny, and North Ossetia, where I come from. So many Uh of them studied in the universities of Grozny and Vladikavkaz. So that's why you have so many English-speaking people here in Karabulak. We're all concentrated here. But that doesn't Mm. mean people in the entire Ingushetia don't speak English. Many of them are (laughs) educated and they do. But we are here. And, you know, for me, this is, at the moment, this is the best place here in this republic. Yeah, sure. So, and so are you yourself English or yes. Ossetian? I'm English. You're English. Yes. But, but born and raised Bo- in Vladikavkaz. Born in North Ossetia, right. Got it. And okay, just clarify. Medina, we won't get into the whole history of this, but uh, I have other English friends from there in Vladikavkaz. Isn't there a... Uh, a district of of Vladikavkaz where primarily English live called is it Karza? Is that right? And no, the district is called uh, Prigorodny district. Yes, it's okay. huge, and Karza one of is one of these. I mean, settlements which is there. My dad sure. would not come straight he, there from Kazakhstan mm-hmm. when he was back from Kazakhstan. He wouldn't go there. Uh-huh. He knew this is his. That's why he. Uh, returned to this place and built a beautiful house there. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, that's why we lived there. Amazing. Well, Medina, you're an educator. Um, you're a teacher of the English language. We kind of want to talk about what education as a whole looks like in the North Caucasus today. And you have a great perspective because you yourself uh, are a teacher. Um, you're also a mother. And so, You've kind of been a part of uh, seeing your daughter educated over the years, and you are a consummate student uh, as well. And you have an interesting experience yourself as a as a student. So, and in the education system. So, tell us a little about your family background 
and some of your educational, your own personal educational experiences? Um, I am the youngest among eight, four brothers okay. and four sisters. We used wow. to be eight, but now we're seven. Uh, yeah. And it was absolutely normal for us, you know, to live a normal life, meaning, uh, studying well. And, uh, my parents didn't do anything special, you know, to instill this, you know, notion of education. We all knew mm -hmm. we had to study well, and the school wow. is followed by the university and we have to study. Uh, but he never told us to travel somewhere for studies, you know, because we're all kids of the Soviet time and right. there wasn't, mm. mu there wasn't much choice. Right. Yeah. Mm. Well, maximum where we could go is neighboring Chechnya to study at the university of Grozny or study mm. in the same place in Vladikavkaz. That's what I did. I started right. there. So Mm -hmm. Just to pause you, is this a Soviet thing, meaning that in the Soviet setting, you wouldn't move to another city even within the Soviet Union to study? You just, like, was it required? Or no, no, no. That you, uh, that you stayed where you were? Uh, as you know, USSR was a closed country. So the young people, they didn't travel much. They didn't travel abroad mm -hmm. for studies, maybe with some exceptions, with some, you know, selected exceptions. Sure. But it was normal to travel within USSR. It was okay. Ah, okay. Not for our family, you know. It, there wasn't right. an issue of traveling somewhere else because we had universities close to us. There wasn't a need to Got go it. somewhere else. So it's yeah. just, it was normal. Okay. So, so you studied... Uh, did you, you studied in Vladikavkaz, you said? I started studying in Vladikavkaz, but due to infamous events, I had to move to Grozny in 1992 and continue the studies there. I finished the university there. I got the diploma from Grozny State University. I mean, Chechen State University. Well, according gotcha. to diploma, I'm, I am a teacher of English and German. Oh, German has been completely lost, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. but English has always been the love of my life, you know? <laughs> mm. wow. wow. And then you, I mean, this, even just to help our, uh, our listeners understand the timeline of all this, um, you had probably most of our listeners don't know this, but it was, uh, 1992, there was just a really terrible conflict. It's called like three day war between, um, Setians and Ingush. And we won't get into all the details of that, but your family had to flee and you guys moved to Grozny and then you, you graduated, but wasn't it like two years later, the Chechen war started and you had to move again to Ingush exactly. So, Chechnya? and I made it to get my diploma just before the war in Chechnya started. Mm. Wow. But I have to add one thing, Andrew, you know, it wasn't a conflict between people. I'm telling you. In North Ossetia, mm. it was something carefully planned by some hidden forces. Mm. Uh, it's it wasn't the conflict, so yeah, I can't con call it a conflict. It was something <laughs> horrible, terrible, and um, English people had to flee, and we, our family, was not an exception. We went directly to Grozny because my sisters already lived there. They mar they were married there. 
So yeah. we spent um, additional two years there while I was finishing the university. And we mm -hmm. came back to Ingushetia to Karabulak exactly before the war in Chechnya started in 1994. Wow. Okay. Oh, man. We, we were then called double displaced, you know. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. Sure. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. So you, for many years, I know, uh, did you, was it the Red Cross you worked with? I know you were involved with translation and different things uh, when, when the Chechen wars were happening. You were working with foreigners in that time. Was it through some connection with that that you did get an opportunity to study in the U.S.? Um, I worked with United Nations representation uh -huh. in the North Caucasus. And okay. um, it was... It happened accidentally, you know. I and my local colleagues, we used to accompany experts to high-ranking meetings uh, at the mm -hmm. government of Ingushetia. And I was there mm -hmm. uh, translating for, uh, at the meeting with the first president of Ingushetia, Ruslan Aushev. I was mm -hmm. translating there, and there was this man... <laughs> Uh, working at the parliament, who spotted me there, you know, <laughs> because his Polish friend from New York just asked him to find somebody, a representative of the North Caucasus, who could go and participate in the program in uh, New York at Columbia wow. University, at the program called um, Human Rights Advocacy. So uh, he came to, after this meeting, he came to our office, our local office in Nazran, and he suggested this wonderful opportunity, you know. Wow. So he wow. gave me some time to think, and it didn't take much time uh, to talk <laughs> my mother into <laughs> letting me go to United right. States for studies. So, uh, yeah, I caught that opportunity, and I traveled there for one academic year. Mm. So, yeah. That's neat. You got to live in New York. <laughs> Just imagine. <laughs> I am trying to. I want Ima to ask you so many questions about that, but, but it would get us way off track. <laughs> a young girl from the province. <laughs> <laughs> came to I mean I just have to ask what what was like one of the first big things for you I can yeah shocked mm -hmm. you or yeah go ahead I can tell you you know uh what was my, my what my first impression was about the United States I came um to JFK airport late at night and there was this tiny Jewish lady called Lily Cole who was the coordinator of the program Uh -huh. We took taxi and drove into Manhattan. <laughs> and I was shocked in a negative sense. You know why? Yeah. Because I saw dirty streets, you know, garbage containers, uh. <laughs> graffiti yep. all over on the walls. And I was disappointed, but just for half hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we it's getting used to Yeah, but later, you know, when I visited downtown Manhattan and other places of United States, like Washington, D.C., uh, North Carolina, by the way, Andrew, <laughs> yeah. Colorado, and many other places, New York upstate, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, you know, understood that, you know, my expectations were all justified. So, yeah, cool. that was great. 
great experience. That's neat. Um, well, you've been back since then uh, for a long time in the North Caucasus. You have a, a really winsome daughter, Luli. We've gotten to know some. Uh, she's has she finished her university degree yet, or still studying? She's just finished the university and got her diploma. She's now a bachelor. <laughs> yeah, and uh-huh. she just you know right the next day she went to uh, <laughs> Saint Petersburg. Because from there, uh, she had to get on board the steamboat called Pr- Princess mm. Anastasia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to travel for her two-month tour. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. which was, um, you know, it's sailing between uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg on Anirskaya, mm-hmm. um, Ladarskaya lakes, um, uh-huh. on some, you know, I don't remember the names of the rivers. And she uh, works at the reception. Um, and I think even though she doesn't have any experience in English and, and German, she works there. And immediately after um, the university, she had this chance, you know, to become a working person. And this, I think, will be her first record in the employment book. And she, yeah, and she will get her first salary. So I think that's great, even without practicing yeah, languages. Yeah, that feels good. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Luli is also a fantastic English speaker. Um, yeah, well, that, congratulations to her for graduating. Um, I can be also proud of her because she has just got her C1 level in English after this uh, Cambridge uh-huh. assessment exam. In Pitigorsk. Yeah. I, I forgot to say this is Pegu, Pitigorsk State University. Yes. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Like our alma mater, Andrew, <laughs> except we never really. We got enrolled. a document from there. Yeah. We, we definitely we, got documents. I'll tell you, I got we, documents. We, we didn't, definitely didn't get a C1 um, to the C1 <laughs> level of Russian like she did with that. <laughs> no, <laughs> but we were aiming for. B two. <laughs> That's okay. awesome. Well, Medina, tell us. Let's start talking about uh, education in the North Caucasus. Um, we're going to talk general, but we'll talk real specific too. Um, what would you say? Um, would you say overall that education is something highly valued in in the North Caucasus region and specifically among families? Uh Yes, of course, because this was a war zone. And uh, the further we are from this war, the more the life is improving. And if the life is improving, it means that, you know, people realize more and more that education is very, very important for them and for their kids, especially. Because this is the main weapon for them, you know, for future they can use this right. weapon um, when they face difficulties or when they face outer world. Um, yeah, and you know, even though my diploma is a teacher of English and German, I mm-hmm. I've never I've only worked at a local st- school for one semester of the academic year, which is one and a <laughs> half months. I can tell you why. 
Yes, I will be honest because of the low salaries. Yeah, yeah which yeah. they get. Yeah, unfortunately, teachers in Russia and especially in our region, they mm. are badly paid, and mm. uh, I don't care about the package from the state which they get. They get. I don't care about you know the name of the teacher of the school. I care mm-hmm. about my daily life, you know. Sure. So sure. this is very important for me. <laughs> <laughs> we encountered that at Pegu, actually. I don't know if, if your teachers did this, Andrew, but when we would talk about these things, I mean, I want to say the teachers that we had at Pegu were committed and extremely well trained and competent. It was a great. Uh, time they're learning Russian, but they <laughs> they joke they're like pay getting paid. They're like this is our hobby. We just call it our <laughs> hobby <laughs> because for them it's like you know you have to at least you know you have to be a two income family. You can't you can't you know support a, a family just off the of family, a yes. salary, which is really mm-hmm. sad, unfortunate, but but not unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that Medina, that's a good transition. My understanding is so. Uh, listeners, you know, there's daily school here like there is in every part of the world, but something I think that's really unique uh, in the Caucasus, I've actually heard from Russians from other parts of Russia that it's very unique to the Caucasus, is there's a really strong after-school tutoring system uh, where families pay either teachers or others, tutors, to do additional time, whether it's in English or other subjects with their, right. exactly. with their children. Mm-hmm. And, uh, can you speak to this? It's a way that the teachers and tutors supplement their own incomes and it just helps the students do better in that subject matter. What, what would you say to that? Unfortunately, school is not enough to get ready for the final exam in English, for instance. It's not enough. Mm. Only some hand-picked, you know, special teachers, maybe five dash ten teachers in the whole republic, mm-hmm. working at school, prepare kids for ЕГЭ. You know what's ЕГЭ? Единый государственный экзамен, the final exam uh-huh. for yeah, senior like school in the, children. In the U.S., it yeah. would be the equivalent of the SAT or the ACT in the in the U.S. From one side, it's sad, you know, because school is not enough. That's why they have to hire additional tutors for their kids Mm. for exams like um, uh, English exams, history, physics, chemistry, math. They have to do that. They're forced to do that because this is not enough. But on the other side, this is good for me, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Because I also usually have a group um, of senior school children who I prepare for the final exams. And this is the subject of my pride, you know. You know why? Because I worked out my own methodology of teaching this yiga thing to these Mm. kids. So I have just graduated a group of students this year, this May, last May, um, of school leavers who had to go further and... At the moment, uh, I know of one girl who entered MGLU, which is Moscow State Linguistic University. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. And uh, that means uh, my work has some results. <laughs> and oh, I'm, I'm awesome. proud of them. And on the other side, I understand that school has to prepare the kids for Yege. 
but mm-hmm. they don't do that because they're badly paid. They have no motivation to work hard, you know, to work additional hours with kids, you know, to, to help the kids. Everyone, everyone accepted the situation that tutors are in fashion, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you need tutors. I can't yeah. call myself a tutor. I usually, I think a tutor, you can tell me, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Tutor is somebody who is teaching a small groups, one or two kids at the same time. I, I teach big groups from five mm-hmm. to 17 people right. at the same time. Because I, I wouldn't have, call that a tutor. I think uh, you're right. It's just teacher yeah. of, I don't know, additional yeah. e- extracurricular yeah. program. Yeah, that sounds... Well, yeah. and to be fair, um, there's a pretty strong tutor, tutor system in the U.S. as well. Uh, I, I don't know what that looks like countrywide, but I have a good friend. Um, he is an SAT tutor, and he works on some of those subjects you talked about with high schoolers. Uh, some of the sciences, especially um, physics. Uh, I think yeah. physics and English are his English like grammar language. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's an industry. He gets paid really oh, yeah. good money on a per hour basis uh, for his work because kind of like in Russia with the Yege, like that test is such a big deal in doing right. well. I, I feel like I've read in recent years, they've tried to make the SAT score not as important as it used to be because of other factors. But mm-hmm. I do know that there's still a pretty good tutoring system here as well in the States. <laughs> mm, we're not alone. That's great. <laughs> no, for sure not. <laughs> what okay. is a uh, Medina? What tell us a little about your methodology in these group uh, language lessons <clears throat> with your students that that you find unique? When somebody calls me, you know, and asks to recruit a kid or a student uh, to be part of our center, I always tell them my program, my methodology has nothing to do with the school program. It's something different. It's something, you know, it's, it's, you know, it looks like something which I personally see comfortable. This is something that I lacked when I was a student, you know, I needed it. Um, And I would use it. So it took some 10 years to work on that system and to make it a structural methodology. Do parents respond negatively to that fact when you say this is a separate thing from the school system no they usually they uh they like it because Mm -hmm. they always say we want something different you know different from school Uh only in some selected cases they call on purpose and ask me can you please help out with um home exercises or can you please help with this particular uh, school textbook? Because it's very hard for my kid. I used to take these, these kind of kids before, but not recently. I only use my methodology and I find it unique because I use my own score system. Not like at oh. school. Yeah. And so let's describe the school system. Are you talking about the five point system? Yes, the school the school um, score system is five point, which I am critical yes. about. I don't like it. I think it's not you enough. You and my son, <laughs> my eleven year old who finished the second class in Russia, uh, mm-hmm. was just yesterday joking about 
or telling someone is like, you know, if someone gets a one, that's, you can't even, it's not even, it's like below failing. He's it's like, I've call. never seen a it's one. It's call. <laughs> In Russian, it's call, you know, call. One is call. Huh. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, mine is um, from five to 15, something like that. Wow. Yeah, it depends on um, it depends on um, the exercise or the any kind of presentation that which they make. It depends on the number of lines in this task or the number of words. Sure. Yeah, and so if, for example, I give a poem and ask the kids to learn this poem for the next time, uh, the highest score for this poem would be uh, twelve because this particular poem has 12 oh. lines 12 lines yes and each mistake that they make it can be even the wrong syllable stress you know it's minus one or half point depending oh. on the highest score so i find this kind of score system very exact and fact-based so right. i don't i don't like the one they use at something... schools right we had a teacher who did something like this, not the 5 to 15 thing, but, but uh, with something we had learned or were reading, she would mark off any error. Mm-hmm. It wasn't all the time, but it was a really useful exercise because you saw that even if you were right, you know, 80% of the time, <laughs> just hypothetically speaking, like... <laughs> <laughs> that there are a lot of little errors that you really need to like to really get to a high level to really get clean and you know a, a kind of a professional level you can't have those mm-hmm. um, oh. so i think that's that's really effective you know one thing helps me yeah. also i always record when they uh report at, at the lesson uh-huh. And whatever is recorded or whatever is shot at this lesson is immediately Mm -hmm. downloaded to WhatsApp group, which consists of the kids of this group and their parents. Just imagine. They see these videos. They see everything firsthand. And when I want to recheck, to cross-check whatever is done or the way I mock them, I watch this video at home once again check it, uh-huh. and try to be as exact as possible. This is a very big and scrupulous work, but I do it, yeah. you know? <laughs> that is a wow. big work. Olymp- mm-hmm. so- uh, Medina, it strikes me you would be a fantastic Olympic judge <laughs> <laughs> with, with your just fact-based... Uh, Especially diving. I mean, ob- Objective <laughs> scoring. Yeah, yeah. That's right. fantastic. Yeah. So it sounds to me like you had, I mean, obviously you, you went through the education system, but the five-point grading, for example, you said, I want a different system that's, that is more reflective of the work and is a little more refined. Do you find that there are other ways that you, in a sense, correct for errors or lacks, lack, areas of lacking that you see in the public education system? I mean, are there other things you do or other approaches you have mm-hmm. that you want to yeah, uh, fill in? I don't work there, but I am very critical about some things, you know. Um, this is a big list, but I can just tell you about the couple. First of all... Yeah, maybe the top, top two or three. <laughs> two of them. <laughs> like, um, 
I don't like that they don't teach crucial subjects like financial literacy at school. Mm-hmm. They don't teach this subject at school, which is so mm-hmm. bad. This is something which mm. kids or people need in their real life, first of all. Sure. Uh, there are which, many, many... Fair, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that's not taught in U.S. <laughs> school system either. I know, I was going to say, my dad might agree with that complaint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, I think... Uh, there are many drawbacks, but what I don't especially like, because when my daughter was a school kid, I was very critical about one thing. They waste too much time talking about uniform, you know? Oh, my gosh. Crazy, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, yeah, they, I, not even, yeah. not just the dresses or the clothes that kids wear, but the shoes and the color of hair bows even (laughs) and hair clips it's so funny it's i hate it you know yeah yeah and it takes away from from some real academic process more attention that's right yes that's right can can i circle back around to something you were asking earlier andrew yeah and again you know i don't know um what your perspective is on this medina i'm very interested you asked Andrew, like, what role does education play in Caucasus families? Is it a big value? And, and of course, I, I really appreciated how you framed that, Medina. Ever since the, you know, the war and the wars, like, things are getting better. Education is highly valued because there's more opportunity there. Um, it just strikes me. I mean, when we moved to Russia and we're learning about it, you know, across the country, Russia's literacy rate is sky high. You know, it is like ranks among the top in the world. And I, I think that's true of the whole Caucasus, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Georgia, have really, really high, above 99% literacy statistically. Oh. Um, higher than the U.S., I think, and, and many other uh, Western nations. Um, and that always really fascinated me because that doesn't happen by accident. Um, and so I wondered if you could talk about how is that value passed on and continued and built on and so that it doesn't erode away? Mm-hmm. That's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> and you can pass if, you know, you can, if, if you don't. But I would love to know if you have any reflections on that. Uh, you know, I think it's a normal thing, education here. Um, starting from the Soviet yeah. times when... There was a steady life and it was normal mm-hmm. to finish the school, to go to the university. And there was a high right. percentage of the, those who entered the universities. That's what I know. If you compare mm-hmm. even with the Western world, that's what I heard. Yes. And up mm. to, things changed a lot recently, but it's the same thing, you know, it's, it just continues. Mm-hmm. And I, I even think it, it continues and increases uh, parents wow. try to give more to their kids, you know, whatever was uh, not done by them themselves. They try to make up for lost time with their kids and they try to do their best. I can judge yeah. by people who come to our center, you know, no matter what occupation they are choosing in future, they want to study English. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they need English, you know. Well, 
Yeah, I think it just continues. It's normal. It's natural. It goes. Well, that says that says a lot. Even just if I can reflect on what you just said, you know, kind of culture wide expectations are um, they do a lot, and they don't, you know, they don't just come out of thin air. You, you know, it's it's a it's a cultural decision in a sense, I think over mm-hmm. time to really cultivate these expectations. And that's not necessarily the expectation everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. it might be more uh hit or miss or dip- only certain kinds of people really go to certain uh, levels of education. So to have that kind of inertia from the past in the kind of in the bones of the parents and grandparents, like this is what we do. Um, I think that probably actually, is a large part of the answer. It's really, that's really interesting. Otherwise, how can they survive in this modern competitive world? You know, right. education, I told you, is the weapon. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and one even, one practical way I've noticed that, Medina, is all over uh, Pitigorsk, where we live, there are these um, early childhood education centers where they're doing English language starting with two-year-olds, basically like two to four-year-olds language classes. Um, so I'm going to send my son there because... Um. I, <laughs> I don't really know what all that's about, but it clearly says there is a, um, a desire for the... There's a supply and a demand, you know? There's lots of parents who are wanting their children to start learning at an early age and there are people providing the, those services. Is it the same way there in Ingushetia? Yes, is that exactly. Just with English, by the way, yeah. or is it, is it with other things too? You know, this is something which I can't do. Uh, teach small kids. My age is starting. <laughs> <laughs> My age is starting know from thyself. eight, eight and above, uh-huh. uh, because uh-huh. these kids under eight they need their own, you know, special methodology, game based yes. methodology. Um, and I find, you know, I, I can observe here, mothers also bring kids, five, six year old kids to me and I'm tired to explain, you know, that my (laughs) methodology is not playing with kids in English. Mine Mm -hmm. is a real academic process. I need kids at least of 10 years old, not younger. You know, many of them talk me into taking the eight-year-olds, the nine-year-olds, because there are sisters and brothers. Two kids is very popular from the same family, you know, Uh, two kids at the same time. And usually there are two years between them. So I still have eight-year-olds as well. And this is very popular here, but we don't have specialists or experts (laughs) on that in Ingushetia. Uh, We lack this kind of experts. And um, hardly a few kindergartens and daycare centers centers do that. Maybe a couple, right. no more. Well, I always tell mothers, please don't hurry, don't rush. You will make it, you know. <laughs> I'm a teacher of English. My Luli is a teacher of English already, you know. She's got a diploma. Wow. But I started teaching English to my daughter Luli when she was 10 years old. And she was a mm. fifth year grade I mean, I, she was in the fifth grade. So wow. it, it wasn't too late, you know, it wasn't too late. It's enough. It's fine. It's okay. You'll make it. Right. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. Um, I, you know, one thing I've even noticed too, you mentioned about 
kind of this play methodology of teaching English. Um, we, I cannot tell you how many parents, you know, peers in Russia, same age as my wife and me, uh, when they meet us and find out we're Americans say, oh, we should definitely get together um, so our kids can play with your kids and learn English from them and let them speak English to them. And <laughs> we try to like gently explain it's not really how it works. If your kids don't speak English, our kids will not speak English to them. They'll speak <laughs> Russian. <laughs> but again, it's this, you just see this desire coming out of they really want from a young age their children to learn. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so yeah. So that's that's the one end, the early childhood. Uh, we've noticed that I think is pretty unique and distinct in the North Caucasus. What about like um, university Medina? Like when you grew up, like you said, the Soviet Union was a close country. Um, of course, there was some opportunity to maybe travel to Moscow or St. Petersburg to study, but most people got degrees locally or regionally. Um, what would you say would be the goal now from families for from Ingushetia or Ossetia or Chechnya, uh, do they want their children to stay there locally to study or to go to a more regional university or even to Moscow or even abroad? What does that look like for families in the Caucasus? Everything has changed and Ingushetia is not an exception, you know. Parents and kids know for sure they want to study abroad when they grow up. <laughs> when they uh-huh. come, yeah, when they come and tell me, uh, they want to start the classes with me because they have this and that goal. Many of them really want to travel abroad and study abroad. Wow. Mm-hmm. Some of them sure. say, you know, we want English because we travel a lot. We rest in the resorts of Dubai and Turkey and many, many other places. We want right. our kids to speak English in the sphere, you know, of whatever, shopping, in the restaurants everywhere mm-hmm. and they want uh-huh. immediate result <laughs> 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 so yeah of course it changed it's different you know during the soviet times and even in the 90s after the collapse of the soviet union many russians who traveled to other countries they um realized they couldn't speak like others do even though they had fives at school, at the universities, they studied right. grammar, they were very good in English, they were perfect students, but there wasn't any practice, you know? Of course. They didn't have a chance to practice. So it's now right. completely different. You can, you know, you meet Russians in America, so you can just judge yes. by them. It's different. And the English Chechen diaspora in United States is also expanding, as far as I know. Okay. And my, my relatives live in Boston, my close relatives. So, wow. yeah. Uh, are, there, are there many English in Boston, or are they alone? Uh, That's I where the, most, the, the largest Parchiva clan is in Boston, right? I, uh, There's yeah. not many in Ingushetia left, but Boston, <laughs> that's where all the Parchivas are. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so. <laughs> you know, uh, as far as I know, people from the North Caucasus are mainly concentrated in New Jersey, in United States. Okay. The biggest yeah, diaspora. Circassians and Karachais. Yes. Right. When There's I was there meetings. in New York, I used to visit them for meetings. Oh, cool. ah. Yeah. It was nice. Interesting. Yes. Good experience. Wow. Uh, Medina, I had an idea for your your uh, English uh, classes, you need to do a week-long intensive for 
families wanting to be able to shop in English in Dubai? <laughs> no, no, of course not, you know. <laughs> I mean, they would just flood in, flood in. They would teach such <laughs> unique vocabulary. <laughs> no. that, Andrew actually wants this for his girls, you, you know. To, to get, <laughs> One week on shopping in Dubai, another week on shopping in Istanbul. Um, <laughs> oh, the, All you need to the, know is how to say, I'll take two and um, <laughs> do you accept cr- credit? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You so, know, uh, now when I'm experienced, uh, when I have many students and I hardly make any posts on Instagram, I don't need them because I have enough students. They're all coming because mm-hmm. they just tell their parents, they t- I mean, their relatives, they tell everyone, you know, about me. So there's no need to make special advertisements. And I want to say mm. now I can select students. <laughs> mm. I tell them, you know, that, you know, my system is this and that. that. So mm-hmm. you, it's up to you to decide whether you need it or not. But my schedule, my system of teaching is this. And if you don't need it, just go to study English at my colleagues in other, mm-hmm. other places. And so now I can choose. Mm. Well, yeah. It must feel like a nice place to be. <laughs> yeah. Medina, what about, uh, what about the the role of the native Caucasus languages in education in the North Caucasus. Obviously for you, you can speak to the English language and English Shetia. Is that something primarily people learn in their homes because it's spoken there and, you know, in their towns and in society? Mm -hmm. Is it taught in schools, preschools, for example, are they, is it mainly English language or is it Russian? Tell us about that there in English Shetia. Mm-hmm. Our education is in Russian, Andrew, and um, uh-huh. I can tell you when I uh, studied uh, in Vladikavkaz, uh, we lived in Kartsa, and Kartsa was the place where Ingush people were concentrated in North Ossetia, yeah. and we had Ingush uh, class all the time, and when I was t- talking or traveling here to Ingushetia or Chechnya to, to my relatives, I used to get surprised because I used to say, I live in Ossetia and I have Ingush class at my school. I know Ingush oh. better than you do. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, and some schools in Ingushetia, they didn't have Ingush. But that's not the situation right now, of course. Everyone, in all schools, we have Ingush lesson, lesson of Ingush language. Mainly people speak Russian, of course, but they do their best, you know, to return the native language. Uh, You know, despite all possible efforts of my mother, I and my siblings at home, my elder siblings, we all spoke Russian mostly. I don't know why, maybe because our father used to speak Russian. I do Mm. speak my mother tongue, but uh, it's not very fluent, you know. Uh, mm. Not bad for somebody not grown in Ingushetia. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I understand, you know, this is not an excuse, of course. But when it's necessary, when I have to speak, I do it, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, you can do it. yeah. The first thing, of course, everywhere is to speak good Russian for good education in Russia and abroad. Mm. Yeah, but English what, is also what important. What age does the... Yeah. When did the English classes start in school? Oh, uh, not sure. Maybe for 
either from the first grade or from the second. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. From, almost from the beginning. Yeah. And many kids, especially those who um, grew up somewhere else, for example, in Moscow, families who lived in Moscow after the Chechen war, and th- then now they come back, they have difficulties, you know? Mm-hmm. So, my, my niece who has just come from Boston. She wants to stay in Ingushetia for a while, for a few years, okay. you know. She hired special tutors for her kids, you know, because she wants oh, cool. to. Yeah. So that means uh, Ingush is also important and people understand because this is something which helps us to retain our culture. So right. this is very important. Medina, tell us a little about, you've mentioned your uh, students today, you have between eight, you said age eight and 55, but I want to hone in on your school age students. So age eight to 17, um, what are they like? What, what qualities are you seeing in them? I know, I mean, I've interacted with some of them at some of the English clubs. Some of them have a really high level of English. Some of them are really curious, ask great questions. They're driven. Um, what qualities are you seeing in your students that are giving you hope Mm-hmm. Um, for the future of Ingushetia, mm-hmm. you know, what have you. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, uh, as you know, I have different ages. And um, some teachers say, you know, the easiest is to teach adults, especially when they come to you already knowing something. But my favorite age is from 13 to 17, you know, (laughs) the school children, because they are in the loop. They study English at school. They have they still have a good memory, (laughs) unlike (laughs) unlike adults. Uh Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And they um, they are very motivated and interested to learn English because they know when they come back in front of their school teachers and classmates, they have this additional knowledge of English and they're cool, you know? Ah. So, <laughs> yeah, cool. that's what I notice. So uh, I find... But that gives confidence is, is what I, is at least part of that. You know, it gives them confidence in one area begets confidence in other areas. Mm-hmm. Exactly so, because uh, the more places even non-school places and teachers they see and attend places. They, you know, they become, as you said, confident and they get more knowledge. So I don't understand teachers who are jealous about us. School teachers. (laughs) So I think as long as the kids get more knowledge somewhere else, it doesn't matter where. It's great. So they don't have to be jealous. Well... I find it very interesting to work with this particular age because they are very interested in English language Mm. because someday in the future they know they will travel to America Mm. and England and maybe Canada if they make it. Mm -hmm. So this is a great motivation for them to study English. So I find them very motivated and... uh, if they study English, they, they will be more educated people in our republic. That's what we need. Mm. We need this process to continue. We can't stop yeah. this process, you know. Right. Yeah. 
That's great. There's a popular uh, phrase going around the U.S. right now. It was coined by a sports team when they were really down in the dumps and not doing well, but trying to rebuild their franchise. But trust the process. Mm-hmm. You said this, this, <laughs> yeah. this process must, must go on. And yes, show must go you're on. Right. <laughs> show must go on. Um, well, Medina, uh, you've really given us a great perspective today in a lot of ways on education in the region. Um, thank you for the work you're doing. Um, I just want to affirm it. It's, it's fantastic. You're, you're investing in the future generation. Um, you provide, I mean, the people in your English club too, these are more the adult age, but it is such a breath of fresh air for them. I'm in, you know, the WhatsApp group. That's what that, I, what they tell group. me always. And they, right. they love it. It's so, it's like, Aww this outlet for them to pursue something they're passionate about. Um, it builds, you know, camaraderie and new friendships for them. So um, really just honored to, to know you and. And statistically, doing, so. statistically, Andrew, when you are there, we have more than 30 attendants at a time. <laughs> <laughs> it's document, well documented. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. We will, we will look forward. You return. And, you know, the next yeah. club meeting will be organized, especially for you. Awesome. Thank you, <laughs> Eli, we invite fun. you as well. I, I will come with, with bells on. Absolutely. Um, you have to. I'll be excited to come. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring, come to try and get Andrew off script, you know, to, to make him. Bring your wives, something. you know. Would, Everybody, we, come. Just come. <laughs> All right. You're our next That's stop awesome. in Ingusheria. Yeah. Uh, so, Medina, we got to wrap up the interview with this question. Um, we ask all our guests this question. If there's one thing you could tell the world about the North Caucasus, what would it be? This used to be a dangerous region before, but I'm telling you not anymore. You know, it happens in the areas where there was a war, you know, but now this is exactly the time. It's time to come and visit North Caucasus, especially in Gushetia. Yeah, because we have the highest mountains. (laughs) We have the most beautiful towers. We have the freshest air, the best water. Come on. (laughs) Now it's coming out. (laughs) Well, yeah. Holding back, guys. When you you come to climb Elbrus, don't forget in Gushetia, please. Come and visit us. We will be happy. Or when you come to visit Ingushetia, don't forget about visiting Elbrus uh, after that. Hey. Um, we'll, flip, <laughs> we'll flip that, put Ingushetia up front there. Make Elbrus the afterthought. Um, Medina, we have listeners from over 100 countries in the world. If they are visiting Ingushetia, are they welcome at your English club? And if so, how do they connect with you? Um, I can always con- provide my contact every- with my contact, everybody. So... Anytime they're welcome. I mean, not anytime. Exactly the time when I schedule <laughs> when I schedule the club meeting. You know, the next one, uh, number eighty three, will be somewhere in October. So make right. sure to plan uh, your visit, and please welcome to our club. We'll be happy. So yeah, that's that's that's. I think for those who are. Are interested? That's all the invitation they need, and I, every time, especially the English, 
interviews, Andrew, I always get really fired up to visit, visit Ingushetia. So <laughs> you're going to see us one of these days. Uh, we will put Medina. You have an Instagram channel, you said? or Yeah, it's Medina Repetitor English. <laughs> All right. With the dashes Medina, in, in between. Yeah, my Dina. Dash repetitor dash dash English. English, exactly. So they can easily find me. That is very easy to remember. We'll have it in the show notes. Um, And listeners, don't forget to, if you are on our website and you search or click the hashtag Ingusheria, all of our episodes that have. Either yeah. interviewees from Ingushetti or or even Ingushetti comes up at all will be brought up. So if you're wanting to be refreshed or learn and you don't want to sift through our dozens and dozens of episodes, <laughs> over a hundred, um, that's an easy way to do it. Please do yeah. visit our website. Please leave a uh, senki. What's the word I'm looking for? A, review. Um, a review, man. Uh, rating. Odzivy. Odzivy. There, yes. That's the word I'm looking for. I was actually looking for the English word, but that's good too. <laughs> <laughs> um, on iTunes or wherever it is you, you listen to your uh, podcast and get them, please visit us on Facebook, facebook.com slash caucus talk, or, or email us, podcast at caucus talk.com. But most importantly, along with Medina, we'll see you when you get here. Bye bye.